Scripture, Psalm 133. How very good and pleasant it is when kindred live together in unity. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. Come, let us worship the triune God. Please join us now for our gathering hymn that Easter day with joy is bright. Amen. Friends, hear this assurance of pardon that comes to us from the Old Testament. See, I have sent your sins as far away as the east is from the west, that your sins may be as far away as I have washed them white as snow. The good news of Christ coming to earth is that he has separated us from our sins, our old life is gone, and a new life remains. So know that you have been forgiven, and be at peace. And pray also for me, a sinner. Amen.
is from Acts chapter 4, verses 32 through 35. Now the whole group of those who believed were one of the heart and soul, and no one claimed private ownership of any possession, but everything they owned was held in common. With great power, the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as owned lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what they sold. They laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. The word of the Lord. been to school yet this year to get to go to school? Okay. When we go to school, at the beginning of the class, the teacher does something. They, they read everybody's name, and what do you say when you say your name? When they say your name? You say here, right? You say I'm here, I'm present, whatever, right? So what happens if when the teacher says your name, you're not there? You don't say anything, right? You wouldn't say anything, okay? What else happens? Do you think the teacher does anything? Marks you absent. Okay, so then it becomes the job of the teacher, or maybe your friends, or maybe you sometimes on your own, to find out what you missed in class that day, right? So if you're not there to say, I'm here, here I am, then you have to make, you have to do some makeup work, right? And so sometimes in class especially, if you have to do that makeup work, it becomes a little bit harder because you don't get the full experience of the first lesson. So today's um, reading that I'm going to have in just a second is about a time when Jesus, after he resurrected, went to visit the disciples. And all the disciples were there except a guy named Thomas. And so Jesus was with them all, and they shook hands, and they had some stuff to eat, and they said goodbye, and da 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 And then all the disciples told Thomas later, hey, guess what we saw? We saw Jesus. And Thomas said, I am not going to believe it until I see the scars in his hands. Because he wasn't there to say, I'm here, Lord. And so then a couple of days later, Thomas is with all the disciples and Jesus is there. And then Jesus says, you can touch the scars in my hands. Right? And so Thomas said, oh my goodness, now I believe. And the weird part about this kind of story is Jesus was called their teacher. He was called Rabunai, which means teacher in Aramaic. And so because Thomas was absent on the day that Jesus was there to have this lesson about resurrection, he had to do some makeup. <laughs> right? And so he didn't believe it. He was like, this just can't be. Right? It's like a really hard math problem. But then, when he was actually able to be in class with the teacher again, and he was here, he got to see it, 
and you got to believe. And then Jesus said to him this really cool thing that I think applies to all of us. Jesus said, blessed are those who cannot see, who believe, even though you got to see and you believe. And guess what? We're the people who don't get to see Jesus as scars, but we still believe in Jesus, right? And so Jesus is saying, those of us that believe in Jesus, but we haven't seen the proof, the scars in his hands or the scar in his side, we're blessed because we have that much faith. Okay, so we're going to pray, we're going to thank God um, that we're here today, that we're present to hear God's word, but we're also going to thank God for everybody who believes in Jesus but hasn't ever seen him. Okay, let's pray again. Dear God, yeah. you rock, yeah. and we love you, yeah. and we're so glad that people got to see the scars in your hands and the scar on your side. We also thank you that you blessed us, the people who didn't get to see. Thank you also for bringing us here that we can be present with your spirit. We love you. Amen.
We don't have to see those things to believe them, to, to purchase them. But I don't think I could ever in good conscience maybe buy a timeshare or a vacation home or, or even a new home. Like I don't think just by looking at a two by two square and then bidding on that on Craigslist or eBay, I just don't think I can do that. Now, granted, I've sold things on Craigslist. In fact, I sold a car on Craigslist one time when we lived in Philadelphia. Uh, but somebody still came to my house to touch the car before they purchased that car, right? They didn't just purchase it on faith and believe that the pictures were everything that they were cracked up to be. The only thing that I've ever really done where I've made a major purchase without actually having touched the actual thing that I was buying is I ordered a Jeep for myself back in 2000. I wanted a stick shift uh, transmission. We had to special order those. And so I'd never actually driven a Jeep. I just knew that I wanted a Jeep Cherokee with a stick shift and a four-door, four four-wheel four drive. And so I ordered it. And when it came in, the little window sticker said, made it especially for Mark Boyd. And I got in for the first time. I thought, this is a little smaller than I thought it might be. <laughs> but I drove it for 15 years or something like that. I loved it. I loved that Jeep. But primarily, I'm a see-it-to-buy-it-see-it-to-believe-it kind of person. That's just who I am. I, I can't imagine buying tickets to a World Series game or tickets to the Super Bowl or tickets to a movie, for that matter, from someone else unless I can see the thing and hold it in my hand. And that's, that's okay. That's who I am. I'm admitting some of my sin to you today, some of my disbelief in life. Maybe disbelief in humanity more than anything else. But, but for others, you're okay doing those things. You're okay seeing something in a picture online and buying it, and that's, that's okay. I think that process is what helps me understand our text this morning. It deals with the first-hand account of people having to believe something that their eyes were telling them was, was not possible, but yet they were seeing it and able to touch it. I think the scene is set kind of quickly. This follows exactly uh, where we left off last week. It's the evening of that first Easter. The doors have been shut, and the disciples were in fear of the Judeans. And I don't think that's an unreasonable fear. Um, the Judeans had just killed their leader. The Judeans had just, you know, worked together with the Roman government. And this is a reminder. I know that I've said this multiple times uh, the last several weeks, but especially in Mark's gospel, and here we can see it in John's gospel. This is really truly a battle between the Galilean Jews and the Judean Jews, the Jerusalemites, if you will. It's the worldview of the temple being the most important or Jesus' body in the temple being important. It's about those ruling families in Jerusalem and their allies, the Romans. It's a barrier between rich and poor, country and city. All of those things are coming together. And the power was truly held by the people who lived in Jerusalem. And so it makes sense to me that the Galilean, you know, fisher people and these anglers and, and, and whatever they were, locked themselves in the door. Their leader had just been killed. If this was a Sopranos moment, they would be thinking they're coming for me next. That's just how it kind of worked. So the doors were shut, yet Jesus came through that locked door and stood in the middle of them and said, my peace to you. Now this is about the third or fourth time that Jesus, in John's Gospel at least, has given his peace to the disciples. If you're taking notes, you can look this up later. In chapter 14, verse 27, and chapter 16, verse 33, both times Jesus gave this, this statement, my peace to you, and it's an antidote for fear. 
In 14, Jesus says, My peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give as the Lord gives. So do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let them be afraid. If you've ever been to a funeral, you've probably heard that text read at that funeral. Especially if there is grief or there is fear of what's to come. That's, that's a common kind of statement. In chapter 16, he says, These things are happening so that you can face the persecution in the world. But take courage, my peace gives you something, because I have conquered the world. So when Jesus comes this time and says, my peace, I give you, it's to calm their fears of being killed by the Judeans. And he displays his wounds to the disciples. And this establishes continuity between the historical person, Jesus, and the resurrected Jesus. The wounds are healed, he is glorified, and there should be peace. The disciples recognize Jesus based on his wounds, and John records that they all rejoice in seeing the Lord. And then again, Jesus says, peace to you. These two statements of peace frame the action of Jesus and showing his hands and his sides. It's based on the fact that his wounds have now given us all. Peace. Peace has won. When Jesus immediately shifts to his mission, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. And he breathed on them, and the disciples are given power from the divine breath. And the Greek word here, you're probably going to recognize it. You've probably heard something similar to this before. But the Greek word here translated as breathe is emphusado. They were met by emphysema, right? They can't breathe, emphusado. Is breathing. It's the same word that the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, this is the same word that they used in Genesis 2 when Jesus, or when God breathed life into Adam's nostrils. So clearly, what John is doing here is saying this is almost a recreation, a rebirth of the world. This is a new Adam. Paul will talk about that a little bit in Romans. This is a new thing that's happening. And so when John writes about this, this is for the entire rest of the New Testament that we call the New Testament. This is a new life. This community is being formed. The Holy Spirit is granted through breath. This is the breath of God. Where the Lord God breathed life into a human being at creation, the Lord Jesus breathes life into the church. And after this reception of the Spirit, Jesus does this kind of peculiar thing. He says, if you forgive sins, they're forgiven. But if you retain sins, they are retained. And sometimes this text is mixed up with another text that says, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, whatever you lose on earth will be loose in heaven. And that's not really what's going on here. That was, that was a statement to Peter. This is to the entire church. The new community, what Jesus is saying to them is, you're going to be recognized by the fact that you forgive people. Radical teaching. Turn the cheek, right? You will be identified as people who forgive. If you keep a tally of wrongs against each other, it's going to threaten the entire nature and existence of the totality of the group. What is going to set you apart from the rest of the world is the way that you forgive other people. And if you forgive other people, then grace abounds and peace 
exists. But if you don't forgive, then there's, then there's cause for concern. And he talks about this weird thing. The, the, the weird thing is, I have forgiven, and I cause you to go into the world and to forgive. So the Father sent me, now I send you. It's no longer going to be about being a Judean or a Galilean. It's going to be whether or not you believe in the peace of Christ. And they were called the way. This is the way that you are supposed to live. You're supposed to forgive. And we read something in Acts today. How did the, how did the disciples act with each other? How did the people who believed in Jesus as the way, how did they, how did they live? They pulled all of their resources and they gave to any who had need. They laid their offerings at the feet of the apostles and the whole group who believed were of one heart and one soul. They claimed no private ownership of any possessions. Everything they had was held in common. So when one person forgave someone else, the whole group forgave that person. Not because they had to, but because that was the way that Christ had called them to be. They were set apart to be people of grace. Think about even what we read in the call to worship today, our Psalter reading for this day. How good and pleasant it is when kindred live together in unity. It's not just Jesus that had this radical idea. God had this radical idea even with the, the, the people in the formation of, of the land of Israel. You're, you're called to be together as one. You're called to forgive. You're, you're called to help those who are around you. This is the way to dwell together in unity. Now I think it's one thing to talk about unity, but it's another thing to say that we dwell together. And we all may be able to say or think or espouse the idea that, that we do that. We're nice people. We live together. We have unity. But really when you, and I'm just going to speak for myself, I like my individualism, right? I like to pick out what shoes I wear, what clothes I wear, how fast I drive, what car I drive. I like to buy certain things in life. I don't like it. Oh, oh I don't like getting your own permission for what I want to buy in my life, right? Yet the biblical way to life is that everything that I do in this world should be centered on all of you, and everything that you do in this life should be centered on every other person that's in this room, not just about you. That's not a political statement. That is a biblical statement, right? Jesus got killed for ideas like this. Yet in his resurrection, people believed. There was hope. There was hope that life could be different on earth. There was hope that because of those scars, the world was changed. Yet, even on the first day, Thomas doubted. Right? Now, Thomas is a preschooler in this story, right? Or maybe, maybe a teenager. That's what I'm going to say. That's his attitude. I have not seen it. I'm not going to believe it, right? This is a spoiled little twin, right? This is the this is a childish kind of response. How unfair is it that you all got to see Jesus and I didn't get to see Jesus? I'm not going to believe it. 
That's the way I read Thomas, right? That's maybe not correct, but that's how I view what he says. Not until I touch the scars. Not until I stick my hand in his side. And the teaching here that Jesus says is for community is almost quickly washed away because Thomas puts his needs above the needs of the group. The first evening, resurrected Jesus. Thomas is not even there. Maybe Thomas is not there because he had some other issue with the group. We don't know. That's not there. But Thomas was not able to say, I believe, until he saw. Thomas wasn't then maybe even able to have the peace of God until he saw the resurrected Jesus. But once he sees, wow, now he believes. And I think Jesus quickly capitalizes on a statement. Have you believed only because you have seen? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet come to believe. Jesus' scars are scars of hope for the church. We are the bride of Christ. We are birthed by Christ as a new creation. The way is what we were called until later in the book of Acts. But then we became Christians, little Christs by name. And none of us likely in this world will ever see the scars of Christ. There was an awesome article I read years ago in Christian Century Magazine, the New Testament scholar. You may have heard of him. His, his name is Richard Hayes. He teaches at Duke Divinity School. And he said this in the article. Isn't it curious that God could raise Jesus from the dead, but didn't heal the nail wounds in his hands? Was this an oversight on God's part? Probably not. The power of death is conquered, but the scars remain. Jesus, our Lord and our God, the glory of resurrection still had scars. He still had evidence on his body of God with us, God incarnate, living with us on earth. The resurrection did not remove the human experience of Jesus. The risen Lord still bears scars that speak of his solidarity with human suffering in all of its forms. They did not go away. Those scars serve as a reminder that God is with us through all things, especially in the appalling things, and the destructive things, and the death-dealing times. And although we likely won't see those scars, we can surely see other people in our lives. I'd love nothing more than to see Jesus' scars. Remember, I'm going to see it before I buy it, kind of guy. But what I have seen, and what I have experienced, is the way that the church is filled with people who don't agree, but somehow learn how to live together and love God. And you know what that causes? That causes scars. People get hurt. People get damaged. Christ's scars become part of our story, and our scars become part of God's story in our lives. Yet scars, whether visible or not, are something that we all have in common, something that we all share together. Sometimes I think the church wonders why more people aren't in the church. 
Maybe they're scarred. And maybe because they need to see proof of resurrected Jesus. Maybe they need to see a church where it's one heart and one soul, where we don't claim individual private ownership of, of possessions. We hold everything in common. Maybe the world needs to see a church that dwells in the peace of Christ. I think when the world sees the church through the eyes of judgment and gossip and experience the selfishness that sometimes churches cause, they don't want to come. I mean, who wants to sign up for that? So maybe we have an opportunity. Maybe we can show grace and love and peace. And they see it, and then they buy it, and then they come sit next to us in church. I think too often the church has said, you need to get out of hell free card. And they use scare tactics. And they've not seen the words of Christ. My peace I give to you. My peace I want you to have. Let's sell that. Because I think people will believe it when they see it. And they'll buy it, and then they'll see that we care for each other, and then they'll want to be a part of it, and they'll care for us, and we'll care for them. And before you know it, we've changed the world. So let's do that. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Now let us stand and declare what it is that we believe in the recitation of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again, he ascended into heaven, he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. It's now time for us to give of our tithes and our offerings, give of our abundance to the Lord, those of us here in person worship today, and do that in the fellowship all those of you at home, and click the link. But let's now give back to the Lord what he has so graced us with.
Lord, as we have returned a portion of these gifts to you now, we ask God that you would now give us your spirit so we may see your world through your eyes and give it its peace. We thank you, Lord, that you have granted us your peace and now Lord, encourage us to give your peace to the world. All this we ask in the name of your Son. Amen. You may be seated. A few prayer updates to share with you this morning. The first thing, I think most of you probably heard this already, but did want to share that one of the crew passed away um, yesterday, so we need to think of her family, everyone that she loved, and everyone who loved her um, as they mourn and grieve her loss. Uh, also, Andy Pisa's um, cousin, uh, 72 years old, and she has COVID, and she is on a ventilator at CDMC. And then Logan's best friend, who's 14, has COVID, uh, and uh, his name is, oh, I can't read. It doesn't matter, right? He's a good but, but Logan has to go get, uh, and here's the Hayes Middle School, sorry. Logan is going to get tested today. So we need to keep all of those folks in our thoughts and in our, our, our hearts right now as we come for times of prayer. Certainly there are concerns that rest among you as well. We must bind all of those thoughts together. We, we pray to our Lord. Holy and gracious God, we, we thank you for the day that you have given us. We thank you, Lord, for all the good gifts in this life, but especially, Lord, the gift that each day brings. A day that is a reminder of newness, of life, of continued life on earth. We thank you, Lord, for the grace that you have bestowed upon the world. The way that you came, Lord, not to condemn, but to forgive. We thank you, Lord, for that message. We thank you, Lord, for the assurance of peace that we have in knowing that you have claimed us as your own. So God, we ask that you would be with us as we, each day, discern your will for our lives. We thank you for the example of the apostles and the first church, Lord. We thank you that they were able to make decisions that benefited other people, not just themselves. And we ask God for you to be patient as we learn to live that way as well. God, we come to you today with broken hearts, knowing that you have welcomed and received Wanda into your loving and waiting arms. We know that you have prepared a place for her, that you have said, well done, good and faithful servant. We also pray, Lord, that those here on earth who loved her so dearly are grieving and mourning. We thank you for her family who cared for her in her dying days. We ask God that you would give them a sense of your comfort and your peace and send your spirit upon them and give them rest. Allow us, Lord, to remember fondly everything we love about Wanda, every good gift that she had. We thank you, Lord, for her smile and for her warmth. We thank you, Lord, for the blessed life that she gave here. God, we're also mindful that while many of us have had the vaccination, there are still extensive COVID spread going on and pray Lord today for those who are in hospital but especially for Jeannie Davis who's on a ventilator we pray Lord for Logan and for Logan's best friend for the family members there that are concerned about this we pray God for everyone who is exposed to this virus we pray Lord for healing for our world pray God that we are able to move through this pandemic 
We're thankful for the scientists and for the doctors and nurses and caregivers who have treated everyone that has had this terrible disease. And we ask God that you continue to be with them, bless them, that they may be a blessing to others. We know, God, that there is also other suffering in this world, in the parts of hospitals, Lord, where cancer is still a daily treatment, where heart disease, where trauma exists. We pray, God, for everyone who suffers from those afflictions. Pray, Lord, for the brokenness in families. We ask, God, that you would be with those who are dealing with that. We ask, God, that you would be with the brokenness in relationships and communities. The brokenness of humanity, God. Pray, God, for brokenness in the borders of countries. Pray for the leaders of nations that they would seek peace. We pray for our president and the leaders we have in Washington, D.C. Pray for our governor, our state, and local leaders as well. We ask God that they would hear your still small voice. Be patient with us, Lord, as we listen for that voice as well. You lead God and direct us in this life. Allow us to see the world through your eyes, to see our neighbor and love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Probably the hardest thing you've ever asked us to do, and we ask God that you give us the courage to live peacefully with our neighbors. As we're gathered together today, Lord, we pray for those who are seated to our left and to our right, in front of us and behind us. And in the stillness of this moment, Lord, we pray for ourselves. God, we are amazed by your grace and the glory of your ways. We thank you so much that you sent your Son to earth. That he lived among us and he died for us. That he taught us how to live. He taught us also to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now time for our final hymn, Thine is the glory.
Peace is the antidote for fear. I don't think I'd ever really thought of it that way until I looked at some of the commentaries and how they write about that, that Jesus, in John's Gospel especially, always proclaimed peace when there was fear. I've always thought that peace is the absence maybe of chaos or war, but never of, of fear. And I think what a small gift that is, yet a large gift at the same time. All humanity, at some point in time or another, has fear for something. And one of the greatest gifts that Christ has given us is that we no longer have to be afraid. We, we have finality in knowing that we will one day be united with Christ in heaven. And so, you know, when we're scared in the dark, when we're afraid of lightning or whatever those fears in life may be, we need to understand that Christ has, Christ has conquered the thing that should scare us all, which is death. And if God, through Christ, can conquer death, then what else can God conquer for us all? And if we carry that peace into the world, that we can be peacekeepers, that we can be people who take fear away from others. Think about what a radical change that can do, not just for our community, but for the world. So do not be afraid. Be at peace. For Christ loves us and has claimed us. Now receive the blessing of the triune God, the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. May be with us all until we begin. Either here or his glorious kingdom come. Amen and amen. Happy Sunday. Like a river, I tell.